you're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. This week, Pastor Tom Wood brought us the final message in our worship sermon series, a message titled, Worship Beyond Sunday. Let's check it out. Uh, Good morning, Word of Life. So glad that you were able to come and spend this part of your weekend here with us. Um, I certainly got to meet a whole bunch of people that uh, I'd never had a chance to meet before today um, here at church. So I think there's a number of people that are here right now, and this is your first time at Word of Life, or maybe second or third time. But my hope is that you've been made to feel extremely welcome, that you have a confidence that this is a church where you and your family can grow in your faith, and that this will be a real blessing for you. So massive welcome to those of you that are here hanging out with us, visiting this weekend. Um, Also, going to let you know that Pastor Mike Chiz is on vacation right now. Uh, he is with um, Pastor Randy, Pastor Marianne in South Carolina as they continue to enjoy retirement. Um, while Mike has been down there, he has started a new hobby, and his new hobby is emailing me weather updates every morning. <laughs> One more reason to love Mike Chiz. All right. So a little something about me, you may know this, but I have um, what I would say is a sophisticated sense of humor. Um, Very highbrow, um, somewhat intellectual, and if I don't share jokes regularly, I get angry emails from those of you in the church. So I have some jokes this morning. Again, intellectual, thought stimulating. All right, let's see how this goes. What's the best thing about Switzerland? I'm not sure, but the flag is a big plus. (laughs) See what I mean? It spurs thought in you. Okay. How do snails fight? They slug it out. (laughs) All right. How do birds fly? They just wing it. Where do cows go on a date? The movies. What do you call a man who can't stand up straight? Neil. (laughs) Why shouldn't you buy anything with Velcro? It's a total (laughs) ripoff. Okay. When I got on Google and looked these up, I really did LOL, like there was actual volume as I read this one. Okay. What happens when a dentist and a manicurist have an argument? They fight tooth and nail. (laughs) All right. This is the last one. I feel I saved the best for last. Why did the painting go to jail? It was framed. All right. Anyway. There are literally kids in the church that complain to Pastor Lisa that their jokes are better than mine. That that really is a thing. (laughs) Anyway. So as we've already mentioned today, this is week five of our worship series, and we believe and we're planning that this is going to be the final week. Um, And so we've spent the last few weeks, the last month or so, looking at this whole idea of worship. And of course, it's a massive importance. I don't think there's anybody that um, is familiar with Christianity or familiar with church that would say that, you know, worship is just, you know, ho-hum. It's just something forgettable. But no, worship is something important. And so it's worth taking our time and stopping and pausing, reflecting. Why is worship important? What is worship? And so, so far in this series, we spent week one, and I kind of laid the groundwork 
and talked about the general idea about what is worship. And then week two, we had a friend of ours, Megan and I have a great friend in New Jersey, and she came up, Abby, and she shared a wonderful message about intimacy and communion. And then the following week, Megan shared a message talking about the value of his presence. And then just last week, I considered the posture of worship, the physical expression of our worship. And for today, on this final week, we're gonna look at worship beyond Sunday. Worship beyond Sunday. And this whole idea of Beyond Sunday is something that started back in September. And so a lot of churches, they'll do their big vision weekend. They'll do it beginning of the year, January or February time. But Megan and I kind of thought about things and looked at the calendar and realized that, well, you know what? People generally reset their lives in September. Summer's done. Kids are going back to school. A lot of things that sort of distract us over the summer are kind of like done with. And so kind of we're back on a sense of normalcy in September. So we kind of believe that that's a good time to kind of bring this is what we're about as a church. This is a big vision push for the year. This is what we think the next 12 months are going to look like. And we spent three weeks this past September. And Meg and I, we looked at this idea and we considered with the church on Sunday mornings, what does it mean to have a faith that is beyond Sunday? And one of the main drives and motivators behind this series on worship is an admission that worship is surely more than just gathering once a week and singing some songs. That can't be the full expression, the full explanation, the full picture of what true worship is. Gathering together once a week, it's an important expression of worship, I would even say invaluable, but it's certainly not the full story. Our worship should mean something more than just singing a few songs together once a week. Our worship should be a key fundamental part of our lives. Worship is a key part of the refining and maturing and character building that God is committed to doing in the lives of believers. The formal or traditional term for a heart transformation is the word sanctification. This inward transformation and sanctification is key to the Christian life, and worship is key to the Christian life. A significant aspect of following Jesus is the willingness to reassess and anticipate that we are being modeled and crafted into his likeness, that God in his love for us is committed to helping us shape our hearts and become the people that he has called us to be. A lot of the series to this point on worship We've talked about a change in perspective or transformation of values. A heart of worship is an important part of sanctification. And the first verse I'd like to consider today addresses what I'm saying, that the kingdom of God, it fuels and it causes change in our lives. So I want to draw you to Luke 13, starting in verse 20. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. This is Jesus talking. He also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Now, the process of making bread, Megan and I have made bread in the house before, and if you've done this, you've probably done some of the similar steps than we have, and that you kind of have yeast that kind of sits in a little jar in the fridge, and you kind of put a little in. You, anyone kind of know what I'm talking about? Well, the process back in the first century was very different than that. Of course, they didn't have refrigerators and supplies and all that kind of stuff is very different than just going to the store. I think we all get that. But what they would do back in the first century is that you would make a batch of dough and then you would take a little part of it and you would set it to one side. And you'd use the rest of the dough and you'd make your bread and that was what you had. And then when you came back to make more bread, you would make up another batch of dough and then you would take the little piece that you cut off from the last time that you made bread, and you would knead that back into your dough. And the yeast would just keep permeating that whole new batch. So you cut off another little piece, set it to one side. Bake your bread. Next time you come, you took your little piece, move it all in. The yeast would permeate the whole batch, and then you and keep going. 
Now, what we're reading about here, the illustration and what we can draw from this is that Jesus is saying that this woman is making a new batch of bread. There's new yeast that she's putting in this. And it is going to permeate everything. This yeast is going in this dough. And there is not a single part of this dough that will not be affected by what the, the yeast that's going in there. And that's the picture that Jesus uses to talk about the impact of the kingdom of God. It impacts everything. Not some stuff. Not a portion. Not Sunday morning. It impacts everything. The point of Jesus' short parable is that the kingdom of God affects and makes a difference everywhere. There is nothing that is not impacted by the kingdom of God. The message of Jesus ignites change in every conceivable corner of the globe. And this is proven true just by looking at history. That somehow a small Jewish group of uneducated people told and retold the story of the Messiah. The one that lived a sinless life died and came back to life. And this gave birth to a community and a movement. And 2,000 years later, there are hundreds of millions, possibly billions of people whose lives have been forever changed because of the life and message of Jesus. On a global scale, the message of Jesus has and will continue to reach every nation and people all over the world. But for us this morning, let's bring it locally. Let's bring the principle of that parable, not to the whole globe, but to us as individuals. Just as it's true that the message of Jesus will permeate every area of the world, the kingdom of God impacts and affects every area of the life of the believer. The church mission statement that you may have heard many, many times is that the word of life is all about leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus. And that word faithful, it's a key part of our mission statement, and it can describe many different things. It can be understood a whole myriad of ways. The best way I can articulate it for you is to be faithful, is to be faithful in every area of life. And the illustration from Jesus is that in the same way that yeast permeates every area of a batch of dough, the kingdom of God permeates every aspect of life. As a follower of Jesus, my faith and my inclusion in the kingdom of God affects every area of my life. Take into account everything we've been talking about over the last month. It's hopefully clear to us that worship, expressing worship, engaging in worship, being disciplined in worship, it brings about this permeation. It motivates us to draw closer to him and inspires us to adjust and transform into people taking their place in the kingdom of God. Essentially, true worship cannot be limited to Sunday. True worship cannot be limited to Sunday. The yeast permeates every part of the dough, every area of life. It's impossible to compartmentalize our faith because it permeates every relationship, every room we walk into. Our faith is the main thrust of our entire lives. Worship keeps things in the right order, which is also a thought that has come up a lot in the last month. But because our faith is the believer's defining characteristic, because faith affects every aspect of our lives, and because worship is such an essential part of the life of faith, true worship cannot be limited to Sunday. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Always, unceasing, everything. Simply put, there is nothing not contained in this. Every room you go into, every group of people you find yourself with, no matter what is going on in life, 
whether life is at its absolute worst, whether life is better than you could ever imagine, or whether it's just another boring day. Rejoice, pray, give thanks, and not just occasionally, but always unceasing and in everything. As I think about this, if one person claps, we all have to. But as I was thinking about this verse and this principle, I cannot think of how to wriggle an exception in there. In preparing for this morning, I had a number of thoughts that I'd written on my whiteboard that I have in my office. And while searching through some Bible passages to help find some insight into what we're discussing this morning, a verse from Ephesians brought the whole thing together. Now, I'm going to read this verse to you. And if you want to sit there and say, Tom, this verse isn't directly torn about worship, I understand that. But this walks us through exactly what was on my mind as we consider what is worship beyond Sunday. Ephesians 4.28. Ever doing okay so far? All right. Ephesians 4.28. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work. And then give generously to others in need. Now, you may, of course, wonder what this verse has to do with worship. But I want to look at this and I want to go through this a little step at a time. So worship beyond Sunday in Ephesians 4.28 want to look at and consider the idea of the growth in our nation and uh, the nature of worship beyond Sunday. If you are a thief, quit stealing. We're also going to consider the, the idea of time. Use your hands for good work. We're also going to use the idea of giving as worship. Give generously. And then also what it means to serve one another. Give generously to others in need is what Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. We're going to look today at what growth, time, giving, and serving have to do with worship beyond Sunday. But if our worship and praise and our prayer life is always unceasing and in everything, then we should expect to see the effects of the kingdom of God permeating every area of our lives and changing how we grow as a person, how we spend our time, how we give generously, and how we serve the people around us. I read in a book about 10 years ago. That it was a good idea and it was helpful to think and sort of think about your life and pray about your life to write down all the different roles that you have. You may say all the different hats that you wear. So I wrote this down and this is what I put and of course your list would look different from mine. The first and foremost is I'm a Christian, a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, a brother, a friend, a pastor, I'm a church member, I'm a special needs parent, I'm a resident of Baldwinsville, I'm a dues paying member of the Chelsea FC American Supporters Club. Member for life. Come on, somebody. I'm a neighbor. And in each and every one of these roles, I have a responsibility to embrace becoming faithful in every area of life. In every role, every different hat that I wear, every different place I find myself, I have a responsibility to embrace being faithful in every single area of my life. So I want to walk through that verse in Ephesians, and hopefully you'll see why this verse leapt out at me and why it helped me bring some clarity to how my thinking was I was preparing for today. But the first part of this is this idea of growth. And Paul writes to the Ephesians, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Now, Paul, the author of Ephesians, he's specifically addressing a thief here, but I don't think it's a wild stretch if we adopt the principle and substitute another behavior or sin instead of stealing. For today's purpose, feel free to fill in the blank. For a thief, it's stealing, but what's yours? What would you put in there? Now, of course, for me, I don't have anything to put there because I've got this all figured out. Just don't ask Megan to verify. But for the rest of you, think of it like this. If you blank, quit blank. And to help get our minds flowing about this, I want to share with you possibly the most unpopular verse in the Bible. James 4, 17. 
Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. And if we're all honest, there are countless things we could come up with to fill in the blank. But please don't forget that God is committed not only to offering us forgiveness and eternal life, but he is also committed to cleaning us up and help us learn how to live in the world with kingdom priorities and kingdom values. That's worth clapping for because that's good news. I read a few books this week on this passage and a few quotes that I thought were worth sharing with everyone this morning. The first one is from a guy called F.F. Bruce. And he said, generosity is part and parcel of the Christian way of life. But when it is practiced by a former thief, it stands in total contrast to his previous course of life. And then another one from the NIV application commentary. This verse may be the most striking description of conversion in the New Testament. The thief is to become a philanthropist. The thief is to become a philanthropist. The person who did wrong in order to meet his own selfish desires must now work in order to contribute to someone else's need. The intention of God is always to forgive and set free. The cross proves God's love for us. And also, it's the way that we can escape and correct the justified judgment of God. We can escape that judgment because of the cross. It's the love of God that motivates us to abandon sin. It's the love of God that motivates us to get rid of all the harmful and destructive things in life. It's the love and grace of God that cause us to seek His kingdom and His righteousness first above anything else. And it's essential to remember that how you've grown in the last year is more significant than the regrets you have from 10 years ago. I'm going to say that again because it's as helpful for me as it is for anybody. How you've grown in the last year is more significant than the regrets you have from 10 years ago. The discipline you've proven in private is more valuable than what you show people in public. Who you're becoming is more important than what you've achieved. This time next year, each and every single one of us should be able to point to the ways God has stretched us. How the kingdom, like the yeast in the dough, is permeating every area of our lives. That we are truly learning to be faithful in every area of life. How worshiping always, how worship, worshiping unceasingly, worshiping in everything, it transforms us. Leading individuals to become faithful and effective followers of Jesus. This growth, sanctification, discipleship, the refinement, the maturing, or however else we would describe it. This is the becoming part of our mission statement to become faithful and effective. It's becoming. This version Colossians leapt out at me this week. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Fill your life with the message of Jesus. Help each other, give advice, encourage each other, share wisdom, share the lessons that you've learned. And worship. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And let's not underestimate the importance of worship in this transformation. The next point from Ephesus, as Paul is talking about this in 428, the idea of time. Paul says, use your hands for good work. 
Now, in the context of this verse, it's literally stop stealing and use the time you would be stealing to do something worthwhile. And the implication is that you were using your time for something destructive and harmful. But now in the light of who God is and the message of Jesus transforming your heart, use your time for something honorable and noble. There's a line I heard from a preacher named Christine Kane a long time ago that has stuck with me. As she says that you have all the time you need to do all that God is asking you to do. You have all the time you need to do all that God is asking you to do. Now, if your life is anything like mine, you might respond to that with, well, it sounds nice, but in real life, that's not how it works. Personally, I'm starting to question that mentality in my own life. Should I have more of that mindset of, no, if God's called me to do this, I have the time to do it. That means that if I feel like I don't have all the time to do the important things, maybe I should start to question how important some of the other things are. Maybe time that's wasted could have value. Social media companies and app developers and web uh, video game designers, they have the world's leading experts in psychology and neuroscience helping them to devour everyone's time. Now, I'm not starting a campaign against social media or gaming, but I am also trying to be honest with myself. And perhaps the next time I'm complaining that I don't have enough time for something important, maybe I should think about how much time I've spent on Instagram or YouTube or Netflix. Again, this is not a campaign against those things. But I'm questioning whether they've accidentally crept to the top of my priority list when I would expect most of us would agree they should be a lot further down that list of priorities. And what happens when we prioritize worship? When we prioritize worship, a change in perspective comes. We should expect a change in our countenance. Our worries and concerns feel lighter. We embrace the presence of God that Megan spoke a few weeks ago. And we're reminded about how precious and valuable our relationship with God really is. There's something healthy about expressing thanks and praise for all that God is and all that it means for us to have a Savior. For us today, friends, find times, find pockets of time throughout the day to reorientate ourselves in prayer and worship. I enjoy getting up a little earlier to have a chance to pray and read my Bible and to worship. I feel it sets my day up well. I cannot recommend enough getting the Bible app for your phone. Find a way to listen to worship music or just decide that you're going to take a break from everything else and you're going to carve out some time to worship. But time is the most accurate measurement of our priorities. Earlier this week, I think it was on Friday, I was driving with my son Elijah. And as we were driving to where we were going, we were hitting every single red light. Elijah, he was getting frustrated and he started asking me, some would say pestering me, to take a shortcut. And he would point to side streets and say, why don't we go that way? And I'm trying to explain that despite the red lights, this is still the fastest way. And as I was trying to explain this to him, I said the words, sometimes waiting means you're getting there faster. And today's message was, of course, on my mind, so I had a bit of an aha moment. The way he saw it as an impatient kid, the answer was to keep moving. And as long as the car is moving, it means progress. What I tried and possibly failed to explain to him was that the most efficient, the most effective way to get there was to stop when we needed to stop. Now, this isn't a perfect analogy, but it was a reminder to me that stopping and waiting, taking my time, was the best way to go. I guess the time to worship is somewhat of a stoplight, and it keeps us on the best route. It may look like a delay. It might look like stopping, but it could be what keeps us moving. 
Stopping might be an important part of keeping us on the best route through life. Worshiping might be the key to keeping us going despite everything else that's going on. And taking those moments to worship, enjoying them throughout the day, whether it's an extended period of time or a few seconds on the fly, it's those moments of praise and worship to God that helps that yeast permeate the whole batch of dough. From Jesus' parable we read earlier, the kingdom is the yeast and the dough is our lives and worship opens us up to allowing the kingdom of God to reign and permeate every single aspect of our lives. Praying before going into work helps you have God's heart for your coworkers. Worshiping before you leave the house helps to define your attitude for the whole day. Worshiping when you have a few quiet minutes helps to fend off temptation. Make sure the red light counts for something. We've talked about growth, we talked about time, I want to talk about the third thing from Ephesians, and that's the idea of giving. Paul tells the church, give generously. Now in the New Testament, giving to help others is dovetailed often with images of the Old Testament worship or sacrifice at the temple. From Philippians, we see this. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice, which points to the Old Testament worship in the temple. And that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Again, in Hebrews, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. An important thing to remember on the whole idea of giving is that God gives it all. And him asking for a portion back, it ensures that we remember the source and it confirms our trust in him as the provider. Now, I'm anticipating doing a full message from this verse in the next few months, specifically on the subject of tithing, but I'll share this verse with you today. Genesis 28, verse 20. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth, and this is the bit that hits me, of everything he gives me. Not what I've earned, not what I've acquired, But he had this awareness, Jacob had this understanding that everything I have, every good thing, every blessing, everything I can count is from him. It's a fun game you can play with your kids. You get a bag of candy. My daughter's over here, she's on the edge of a seat. A fun game you can play with your kids. Get a bag of candy and you tell your kids, this is my candy. It's my bag of candy and you give them some. And as you give them some, you say, remember, that's my candy. You can have it, and there's more where that came from. I'll give you some more another time. Can I have that one? It's a perfect picture of tithing. It's my candy. It's all mine. I'm giving it to you. It's yours to take care of. It's yours to manage. It's yours to enjoy. Can I have that one? I promise there's more where it came from. Can I have that one? And it's just that... I'm going to give you this one as a confirmation of the trust of, I trust you with this. I trust there is more to come. I trust that you are provider. I trust that what I have is is not because I have fought and sweat. You've given all this to me. You have blessed me with everything. Any good idea I've had, any wisdom I've got, any good idea I have, I'm doing this and you've blessed me with this and I'm returning a portion to you. 2 Corinthians 9.7 You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. 
At Word of Life, we try to exercise a level of sensitivity around giving. We don't want to present ourselves as people who are just manipulating the congregation for funds. We can't ignore that it's consistently shown in the Bible as a part of the believer's life of worship. In the Old Testament, it was often the crops from farming that were given as sacrifices, or the wealthy might give gold or precious metals, and there are times when people would donate supplies for construction. And then as history progresses and money and currency become widely recognized, people gave monetarily through tithes and proportionate giving. We also see in the New Testament there are specific initiatives like relief for victims of a famine or providing for a feeding program for the poor or caring for widows or providing a living for ministers. And as much as we may want to be sensitive and not keep banging the drum of donations, it is a part of worship. And it wouldn't be well balanced in this series if we just skipped right over it. And we're going to go on to the next one. The fourth thing that we can get from that verse in Ephesians is to serve. Give generously. To who? To others in need. And this theme is to write the New Testament. I've got a few more verses for you. Galatians 5.13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. First Colossians. Uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all. A slave to all people to bring many to Christ. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Now, just to be clear, this isn't an appeal for people to join one of Word of Life's ministry teams. I hope everyone is able to find a place on a team so that we can truly be a church of builders, but this is a much bigger call. It's a call to care about what God cares about, and that's people. In Luke 16, Jesus describes people as the true riches of heaven. To care about people, to serve people, to value people, to help people, is to care and to value the true riches of heaven. Serving and helping others is an expression of worship because it's us caring about what God cares about. There's not a single possession that I own that will come with me in eternity. There is no achievement or accolade that will gain me any status in heaven. The only eternal difference we can make is with people. I hope that heaven will involve people seeing the full impact of their lives that we'll have a chance to see and meet all the people who our lives have impacted. My journey of faith was deeply shaped by my parents, and in eternity, will I get a chance to meet the church leaders and ministers that helped my parents begin their life of Jesus? Then taking it a step further, will those church leaders get a chance to meet all of you, the people that Megan and I get to minister with? Do we all get a chance to meet the millions of people that Convoy of Hope supports? Do we get to see how our finances and our contributions changed who knows how many people's lives? Do my Bible college professors get to meet all the people who were in their congregations of their students? Do Dan and Marjorie Rott and Randy and Marianne Chiz get to meet every person who is going to be impacted by word of life long after their retirement? Do you get to meet all the people you've directly impacted? The people who are a joy to be with and the people who have drained every ounce of patience out of you. Do you get to meet the new believers who asked you every question you could ever imagine? In heaven, will you get to see the co-worker who made the decision to follow Jesus years after you finished working together? Or the person in your small group who found breakthroughs in healing and restoration? 
or the person you were kind to when you served on the same team together, or the youth student who found refuge in the youth ministry when their home life was hostile and dangerous, or the people who you welcomed and greeted or helped find a seat or make them a cup of coffee. And that small gesture assured somebody that this is a church where they can belong. And after you've spent time with all those people and you've met everyone they've impacted, and once you start following the thread of all the different ways we impact each other, it's difficult to stop. Every person you've positively impacted for the kingdom of God, every person who was blessed by an organization you financially supported, every person who was touched by your serving at a church, and then you get to meet everyone they've ever impacted, and then who they've impacted, and on and on it goes. No wonder heaven is going to last for an eternity if we start meeting people who've made a difference in our lives, when is it possibly going to stop? Thieves are told to quit stealing. What's an area that you feel challenged to grow in? What do you feel challenged to quit? Worship recenters everything. It pulls our heart closer to God. Consequently, our worship helps to change our thinking and consequently our habits. A life of worship helps us grow because it helps change what we care about. Stealing or anything else we may feel challenged to quit is typically about serving ourselves, but worshiping God and God alone helps us to stop serving ourselves and start serving God. A life of worship orientates our focus towards Jesus. Oftentimes it's in worship that we feel the challenge from the Holy Spirit to address something, that an area that we need to grow in and that's something that we need to be stretched in that God is challenging and it's highlighted in times of worship. Many times it's in moments of worship that I'll have the persistent reminder from the Holy Spirit to apologize to someone or to stop doing something or to repent for how I responded to something or an address an attitude. These words from Jesus in Matthew 5 come to me often in moments of worship. If you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. The growth or sanctification or refinement or transformation, it's so important. Honoring God with our lives, giving Him the right honor and devotion is so important. And it should be reflected in how we spend our time. We're all busy. We all have responsibilities competing for our time. Maybe you feel like you're always shortchanging someone or something that should be important is always getting phoned in. When was the last time you rearranged your schedule to ensure you had a chance to spend time in worship? When was the last time you woke up early to have some time centering your life on what matters most? Take those moments throughout the day. Have a few minutes late at night. Build these habits and routines into your life. And I'm 100% confident you won't come back to me in a month's time to tell me that all that time in worship or prayer or Bible reading could have been spent better somewhere else. Fathers, this is being a good role model for your children. If your kids see that you get up early or that you break away for times of prayer and worship, it communicates that your faith doesn't stop and start at going to church once a week, but it is truly what you're building your life on. It proves to your sons that following God is more important than just paying lip service. Teenagers understand how busy life is, and if they see and observe parents prioritizing their relationship with God, it will be noticed. Nobody likes being stopped at a red light, but it doesn't mean it's not the best route. Worship is worth prioritizing our time. 
We also considered the role of giving as an expression of worship. I hope, I really do, that we're a church of joyful givers. As a matter of policy, Megan and I have no idea who gives what or who gives anything. But when we give, it's important that we acknowledge that it's recognizing where it all has come from. It's trusting that He will also be our provider, not just today, but also into the future. It's recognizing that His blessings and His provision is not a one-off, but a continued pattern. The call to serve others is an expression of worship because it shows that we care about what God cares about, that we've adopted His love and compassion and concern for people. The world's perception of greatness has always been faulty. It's about achievements or amassed wealth or public image. Today, I would say it's all about how impressed people are with you. The highest virtue is apparently impressing people. But true greatness was seen on the cross. And who benefited from the cross? People. Sinful, messed up people. All ethnic backgrounds, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all kinds of backstories. Jesus died to set them free. It's God's love for people that caused His Son to willingly suffer the torture and beatings of the crucifixion. When we care about people and we act in ways to help and relieve them, it's an expression of how God has changed our hearts. In my time in ministry, I've seen some real tough guys, guys with a history of violence and people who are truly hardened to life come to faith and their hearts to be transformed. And watching these guys become soft and vulnerable and caring is powerful to watch. It shows the growth and impact of the gospel. It truly is the yeast permeating every part of the dough. Luke 13, 20. He, Jesus, also asked, what else is the kingdom of God like? It is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus and Ephesians 4 28 if you're a thief quit stealing grow in your relationship with God grow in the kind of person that God's crafting you into be instead use your hands for good hard work use your time well and then give generously give let that giving be an expression of your worship let giving and generosity be an expression of how much you trust God and who are we giving to? Others in need. Let's care about people. Let's care about serving people. My friends, true worship cannot be limited to Sunday. True worship cannot be limited to Sunday. Would you stand with me if you're able? I'd love to pray, and then the team is going to lead us back into a time of worship. Lord, I pray that something from this message would be helpful to someone here. Lord, whether it's a Bible verse that's read or some aspect or some way of thinking that perhaps someone hasn't taken on board yet, but Lord, I pray you take this and you use it to challenge your people, not because you're mad at us, but because you love us and you want to see us become all that you've made us to be. Lord, we worship you because you and you alone are the only one that deserves worship. Lord, as we take time, as we dedicate ourselves to focus on you, your goodness, your power, your majesty, your sovereignty, your wonder. Lord, may it do something in our hearts and our minds. May it craft us into the people you've called us to be. Lord, just as you described thousands of years ago, Lord, may that yeast 
work in every single part of our lives so that we can be faithful in every area of life. In Jesus' name.